Grab your Bibles if you have them, and let's go to John chapter 7. And I want to share with you uh, a message. I had a different message kind of planned last week, and this is a new one. I've never really preached this, and uh, I'm just excited to be here at Journey Journey Church. Um, what God is doing at Journey, I, I hope you know I travel not a lot. I have a church to pastor. Um, but what's happening here is not what's happening across our landscape in churches. Do you know that? You're one of only 5% of churches that is growing in America. There's no county or city in the United States of America that have more people attending church today than they had 30 years ago. I hope you understand and you are thankful and appreciative for part of a body that wants to see people come to Jesus. I know Jesus Christ because of a church like Journey that loved unlovable teenagers, unlovable people. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom was raising, it was her third husband, raising kids, five of us in a blended family. Cops were at our house repeatedly. We were in and out of trouble. Yet a church still reached out to me and my brothers, and one by one, we began to find Jesus as our Savior. Keep reaching people. You never, never know. Keep loving people. Keep being missional. We've had a couple years about, about all of us. If I hear one more person say, I loved COVID. I loved being home for all that time. I'm going to lose my mind because I'm not an introvert. I didn't love it so much, but uh, God's ready for the church to be missional again. And uh, I'm thanking God even for the missional things that happened. We had 64 people online get saved during COVID when we were shut down. And so uh, it's awesome. Everybody that's joining us online, we're, we're so glad you are. Share it. Share it online on Facebook. Be missional online too. How many like a carnival? Like a festival? I mean, you guys, like six of you? What do you guys, what do you, you, you don't like? I mean, carnival food, are you kidding me? Come on. Everything is fried and fat. It's wonderful. We shouldn't eat it, but it's amazing stuff. A carnival came to town one year, and I always, I always thought, I always go to these things in Marincy. I grew up in Marincy, Michigan, another border town. And I didn't want to go spend my allowance in Christmas money because I, I like to save it. So I thought, I'm going to join the carnival. It's like joining the circus. So I went around to all the campers and knocked on the doors and asked if they needed help. And a guy hired me. And what I did is I stayed in his booth and blew up balloons and taped them to the wall. And then he would turn them around and people threw darts at him. It was the worst three days of my life. <laughs> I looked through the crack at everyone having so much fun, everyone having a good time. When I was done, the guy gave me 20 bucks and a big buffalo about this size. I was like, I'm carnival stupid. I'm never, I'm not running away at the carnival. But everybody likes a festival. The times when we weren't able to get together over COVID, it's starting to open up a little bit. In John 7, 8, and 9, there was one of the most widely attended and funnest festivals that they had in the Jewish calendar. It was called the Festival of Booths. The Hebrew word was Sukkot. And this festival of booths was designed, it was a one week long festival. And every day they did similar things. Repetition was the key to learning 
before we had the World Wide Web and everything. And they did similar things, and it was all symbolic. All the Jewish festivals were symbolic. And, and everyone came to this, and there was food, and there was singing and dancing and shouting. This festival was incredible, and it lasted seven days in the Old Testament. In Jesus' time, they extended it to a day, which I'm sure all the vendors appreciated. And it was just a good time. And every day on the day of the festival, the high priest would take a golden pitcher, and he would go to the pool of Siloam. This is mentioned a few times in scripture, isn't it? When he reminded me that this is where the, 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 the handicapped man, he couldn't get into the, when the water stirred, he couldn't get to the water when the angel came and, and Jesus healed him anyhow. But the priest would come on and he would scoop up a pitcher of water and then everyone would follow the priest through the city and they walked to the temple. And I'm telling you, there were silver trumpets, there were palm branches, okay, Hosanna, like the Palm Sunday. They were shouting, and it was to commemorate how Jesus provided for them in the wilderness for how many years did they wander in the wilderness? 40 years. They were 10 days from the promised land, but yet they wandered around for 40 years. You know what? If you don't pass the test, you take it over. They took that test over how many times in 40 years? A whole generation of people died in the wilderness because they rebelled against and were disobedient to following God. They knew that Jesus provided for them in the 40 years so some of them would live in booths and, and they, they commemorated how they lived for 40 years and God provided with water from the rock and, and manna. And when, when Sukkoth came, when the temple of booths came, they, had, they probably had not had rain in Jerusalem for five or six months and so this wasn't just symbolic that God provided 40 years ago. They needed God to provide water now. And so the priest would scoop that out of the symbolic miracle pool of Siloam. As he was walking to the city, oh, the whole city congregated behind him, singing and dancing and shouting, and they sang Isaiah 12:3 with joy, we will draw water from the wells of salvation or the wells of deliverance. And he would go to the altar and he would pour the water on the altar and they would pray that God would provide once again and he was their source. The understanding of water is very powerful in this time. And during the last great day of the feast, we have this happening in John 6, 7, and 8. Now, if you're not going to read anything in the Bible, I really believe you should read the book of John. You should read the book of John. John 6 and 7, the Jewish leaders are trying to attack and arrest Jesus. But Jesus would not be deterred to his mission. He still stood up and he shouted these words, which could also be from the beginning of Isaiah 55. He says this, now on the last great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom he believed for those who believed in him and were to receive, for the Spirit had not yet been given and not yet been glorified. There's some key truths in this I want to talk to you about this morning. You ready? Are you all still with me? You good? The first thing that Jesus said was that we were to come if you're thirsty. So how thirsty are you? 
There's a lot of ways that we can be thirsty, but thirst is symbolic. This whole thing is metaphorical. It's symbolic of desire. What is your greatest desire today? What are you thinking about while I'm talking? Got plans this afternoon. This week, the weather's supposed to be nice. Some of you, I was driving through town. Some of you need to rake, okay? I'm just being honest with you. I've been putting it off too long. Got to cover the pool. We put the stuff in the yard barn from the patio. I mean, there's all sorts of desires that we have in life. There are a lot of things I desire to do in life yet. But our greatest desire have to be Jesus. This is a time in our life when I preached, hey, you couldn't have any desires but Jesus. You have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. But actually, some of the desires in your heart and life for interests are really put there by God. And you're not to die to those things. You're just not supposed to love those things more than you love Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? So I remember a guy who was a world champion in bow shooting. Any, any bow shooters here? Okay. Okay, a couple of you. Should be in the woods now. Or is it shotgun season? I'm not a hunter, as you can see, right? But he won He won the Ohio championship and the national championship in shooting bow and arrow. He was very famous. He had bow and arrow people that sponsored him and gave him the bow to shoot and hats, and he wore their shirt. I mean, he was the best of the best, but he got saved, and he, he laid it down and said, I'm, I, love it. I love it too much, and he laid it down. And I wasn't the pastor I am now. That was 25 years ago. I should have said, no, this is a gift that God has given you. Sanctify it. Use it for Jesus. Sometimes we lay things down that God never intended us to lay down. It comes about desire. But this invitation for being thirsty, Jesus gave the invitation to anyone. See, the invitation to salvation is for everyone. It's universal invitation. It doesn't matter, like, where you grew up. It doesn't matter like if you grew up rich or you grew up poor. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is or what you speak or who you voted for. You guys either start agreeing with me or I just get irritated and then I preach a little harder. It doesn't matter if you believe in vaccines or don't believe in vaccines. The invitation is to come. Everyone, to come to Jesus. Church, we got to get back to talking about Jesus and stop ranting and raving and being a parrot for the last Facebook post you read or the last news agency you, you listened to. We're to be about the Father's business. The church and the followers of God need to get back to talking about God. We're being distracted. Don't fall for it. Some of you are like, well, I'm not sure where you stand now. I'll tell you where I stand, on the solid rock on Jesus Christ, all that other stuff is just temporal. It's just a distraction. And sadly enough, the church has swallowed a lot of it. I was guest speaker at a church just several weeks ago and a guy walked up to me and said, made all these stupid comments about COVID. And I just said, well, you know what? I've done funerals. I've stood with families and wept. Their father and their mother that, that went early that shouldn't have been. That Christian loving brother turned around and walked away from me angry because I disagreed with his position. Church, we need to grow up. And we need to grow up and start drinking water, not opinions, from other mortal people like ourselves. It's a universal invitation, and this universal invitation has an incredible simplicity to it of the gospel. You know what the gospel is? 
I taught for Spring Arbor. This sounds arrogant. I don't mean because I didn't enjoy it and I don't do it anymore. But I taught for Spring Arbor University for a little bit and I taught, they had a little satellite place in Bedford and I had to go to the main campus and, and be interviewed. And I sat down in this boardroom with seven other academics and the president and they interviewed me. And here's their first question. Reverend Ellerton, can you explain to us the gospel? And I was like, is this a trick question? And I said, well, the gospel is salvation by grace. It's a gift of God. It's, I, started, I quoted a little scripture because I figured I couldn't go wrong there, right? They couldn't disagree with scripture or I wouldn't teach for them. I said, it's the grace. It's given by grace. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a free gift from God, only purchased by Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. And, and anyone who comes to him and believes, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. They said, thank you. They all breathe a sigh of relief. I go, was that a trick question? They're like, bro, this day and age, Christians that we interviewed don't even know what the gospel is. That was the gospel, and it's for everyone, and it's simple. I have to apologize just because I'm a pastor, but I apologize to church history and leaders that have made the gospel so, so much more difficult than it is. We've wanted to add things to the gospel that are never there. To be a Christian, you got to go through these 12 classes or you got to always worship on this day and you got to read the only King James only and you got to you got to wear your hair this way or that way not option for me some of you have that option but the gospel is anyone who calls stop rubbing your dad's head there bro all right thanks anyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved right Anyone who calls on the name of the gospel is simple, and I am so thankful because I wasn't a very deep person at 15 years old. I needed Jesus, and somebody, the pastor's like, you need forgiveness of sins, you need a new life, you need to ask Jesus in your heart, come by and do that, and he'll do that for you. I'm like, oh, I get that. And the Spirit of God showed me Christ, and my brother showed me this simple gospel, and I got saved out of an unchristian environment the Lord turned my life around and went completely different that might be you this morning maybe you need Jesus this morning you believe but you're not a believer there's a difference Jesus said come he gave a lot of incredible divine invitations in the Bible and we keep passing them up when I get a good invitation I don't pass it up Pastor Ken called me and asked me to come and invited us to come. I didn't pass it up. I loved preaching to you a few years ago. I wanted to see what God was doing. I wanted to drive through your city as Wendy and I drove in and just praying over those and just believing God for Jesus for Fremont and even if your football team lost. But Clyde won in overtime, all right? Good job, Clyde. Good job. Bedford lost first round. I'm like, come on, people. But Whiteford's on their way to a state championship. The invitations that I've received in life, the good ones, man, you get excited about. I remember we were in a mission trip in Haiti, and I was with a guy who was a multimillionaire that was going to give 10 million meals to Haiti and ship him over on a giant boat. And, and he got a, 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 an invitation to come talk to the president of Haiti. That time it was President Prevost. And he said, do you want to come? Do you want to come with us to meet the president? That's a pretty good invitation, isn't it? I said, I sure do. I never met the president. We went to the palace, got to go in. I mean, it was, it was pretty incredible. I got to pray with the president of Haiti back then. The invitations that Jesus has us is more than going to see a president. It's to be with the king of kings. 
He says in Matthew 11, 8, come to me, all you that are labor. That means overworked. All you that are striving. All you that are trying to earn God's love and favor. God has a prophetic word for you this morning. Knock it off. He loves you. If you didn't do one more thing right in your life, if you didn't do one more thing for him, he still loves you so, so much. Come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden, tired, burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. The whole world's looking for peace, aren't they? They're trying to find it. They think if the right people are elected or if they can take the right pill, if they can have the right drink, if they can have just all their kids just start behaving, if their mom and dad would just behave, if everyone would just cooperate, you're going to have peace. That's never happening on this earth. If you're looking for anything of this world to bring you the peace of God in your heart, you are going to be sadly disappointed. The only way to peace is to accept the invitation to come to Jesus and he will grant you peace. The other invitations, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Abide in me as the branch abides. Draw near to God, James says. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Some of you think you need a new truck. You think you need a new wife. You think you need a new house. What you need is to abide in Jesus and come to Jesus. You need God. You need to draw near to the Lord. That's where your happiness and joy are gonna come from. That's where true peace is gonna come from got a couple thoughts in my mind I'm going to delay. Secondly, if you are thirsty, then what are you going to do with that? You come to Jesus. Thirst here is metaphorically, symboly, it symbolizes life. Throughout history, water has always symbolized life. Civilizations have always built on rivers near bodies of water. They're all about life. Sometimes we think to be right with God, we need to do a lot of other things and not come to Jesus. See, God isn't calling you to a a compelled church or journey church or Ken or Nate or God is calling you to himself, not to a denomination, not to a doctrinal. We got enough people that think if you believe the right things, you go to heaven. That's, That's not exactly true. The devils believe in God and they tremble, don't they? You gotta believe, but being a believer, we're not trying to embrace a religious doctrine or, or even believe all the right things. The church needs to be very clear on what we are asking people to do. We are inviting them to come to Jesus so their life will be changed. Now, I remember before I got saved, I, heard a, I went to a lot of different type of evangelistic things. Some of them tried to scare the hell out of you right? It's like, you're going to go to hell and burn unquenchable fire. You're going to have, and I would just sit in there as a teenager being like, I live in hell right now. That don't scare me. I don't really care about that. You know what it's like going home to 130 Gorm Street every day? You think the devil worries me? I'm not too worried about the devil getting my mom mad. Now that worries me. But the message that I responded to wasn't about hell. It was like Jesus can help you right now. I wasn't just concerned with my eternity. I was worried about my life right then. Being safe, being understood, being heard, being significant, being purposeful. Like I wanted to know how do I survive just right now and navigate 
my dysfunctional family and navigate the addictions and navigate the personalities and navigate the power and the conflict. How do I navigate that? When he said, Jesus doesn't want you to save you for eternity, but he, he can be part of your life now. He can change things now. I'm like, oh, what, what? You see, yes, our lives are eternal. Yes, Jesus wants to save us. He doesn't wish us that any should perish. He comes to seek and to save all of us who are lost. But he also, his spirit wants to help you today. He wants to reveal things to you today. He wants to heal your family today. He wants to heal your broken heart today. He wants to step into your marriage today and give you strength to get past yourself. He wants to provide for your needs today and we have greater needs than even we recognize. Come to Jesus. But when you go somewhere, you have to leave somewhere. That's not what we like to do. I had a family that got saved. This is back, back in the early days, Ken. Remember those early days? Somebody got saved, and you're like, God is so awesome. This family got saved in their spirit, but their lives were a mess. They called me one day to come down to their house, and back then I used to do that stuff. I'd go to people's houses, and, and they're like, we're having a terrible fight, Pastor. We need you to come down. And I thought, because I, was, I, was, I wasn't, well, I was a dumb pastor. I thought I could actually help them. And so I go down to their house and I walk into their house and there's, there's, there's dishes broke all over the kitchen floor. They're obviously been sweating and fighting. I don't know what was going on before I got there, but it, w- it wasn't great. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to, kind of know counseling. I know I had it in college, but I wasn't paying attention. And, and, and I'm just like, oh my gosh. And I thought to myself, I'd rather be anywhere but here right now. And they're yelling at each other, and they're yelling at me. Well, he always does this, and, he, and then she does this. And I'm just like, eh. and I finally, I'm like, sit down. Sit down on the kitchen table. Sit, both of you. And I'm like, why is there glass? You're not throwing plates at each other. She's like, he got those for me for Christmas last year, and I've always hated them. I'm like, okay, anyhow. And as I talked with them, this is what they said. God saved us. We're believing God for new life but we just can't help going back to what we're comfortable with. I'm like, you're comfortable with this? And they said, this is our life. This is the way it is. I said, this isn't God's plan for you. He goes, but everything else is abnormal to us. I'm like, you're learning a new life. When you come to Jesus, you're learning a new life, and gravity will always pull you to the old life. Even if the old life is dysfunctional, even if the old life is full of pain and sadness, you will naturally go there, but God has more in store for our life. He wants to give us a new life. He wants your kids to not see what you saw as a kid. He wants to move things forward. Are are you guys with me? Jesus can change anything, and don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. Now. Not someday, if you're thirsty, if you come to him. But when you come to him, you have to leave. I'm not in temperance right now. I'm in Fremont or Clyde or wherever I'm. I'm kind of between, right? I'm straddling it, right? The playoff losers and the playoff winners. I'm between. I'm sorry, that wasn't right. All right. It'll be like Ohio and Michigan next week. The loser Buckeyes, the winners, Wolverines, right? Throw us a bone. We haven't won in years. Give us, come on, let's just enjoy it once. Before Jesus takes me home, I'd like to have a win. All right? 
But God is, I'm not in there. If you really want Jesus, you have to leave some things. And that's what, that's what believers can't get through our heads. We want to still be part of a world that is not helping us, is not bringing us life, is not adding value to us or our family. But yet we know this is true. We know Jesus is the way. We know he's right. We know this is going to change everything. you got to quit being so concerned that you're going to upset people from your old life. And you just have to say, I want to be a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. When you get saved, people will leave your life. That is a fact. And you have to be okay with that. I lost some very close friends when I got saved. And they only wanted to party. They only wanted to do that kind of stuff. And I had a car. When I said, I don't do that stuff anymore, they're like, "Uh, we're finding new friends. Guess what? You weren't my friends to begin with. Your family's a different story. They're with you forever. Keep loving them the way Jesus would love them. You can't stay and go at the same time. If you want to relocate your whole life to Jesus, you have to fully vacate your old life. But most people aren't willing to do that. Some of you are still struggling with that today. It's a journey. I get it. It doesn't happen instantaneously. It's, it, it's a journey of strength and, and love for Jesus but you gotta come to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus fully, then you gotta drink. You gotta partake what you desire of. You see, Jesus quotes, even in John, he was talking to the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. I love that story so much because Jesus goes out of his way to talk to a group of people the pious Jews wouldn't even talk to. Yeah, you think racism is a thing now? It was a thing back then too. But it should not be an issue in God's people. Could somebody say amen? They, Jesus went out of his way and he disclosed and revealed to the first person that he was a Messiah to a Samaritan woman. A lady who was shacking up with a guy, had been divorced several times. Who knows what else was going on in her life? And he told her, man, do you want water that'll quench your thirst forever? She's like, yeah, give me some of that. I'm sick of coming to this well. He's like, living water is metaphorically of him, life. Because water is in life, isn't it? Do you know how much of our body is just physical water? 60%. I'm reading stats now because I don't know much. So let me see here. Our brain is composed of 73% water. Our lungs, 83% water, which makes me wonder why people say, I'm in trouble, I got water on my lungs. It's like, your lungs are water. I don't know, right? The skin is 64% water. Your muscles and kidneys are 79% water. Your bones are 31% water. I, how many have ever heard of a guy named Dr. Amen? That's his, na- that's his real name. I mean, if a name like that, I, I, I listen to him. He's not, he says the healthiest thing you can do every morning is to drink a glass of water for long-term health because every, everything in your body is dehydrated. The best thing you can do in the morning, the most healthiest thing you can do is drink water, which is good. I do that now, but really, I just want this, Right? How many of you just, the first thing you drink, you want, you want water? Well, sometimes we drink the wrong stuff. I was at a missions trip years ago. We went to Brazil. Bill 
churches on the Amazon River. It was the coolest mission trip I've ever been on. Caught piranha. One, one, we, one time we went out in the Amazon River, caught piranha, ate them. Yeah, we're like, who's eating who, huh? No. Not, I'm like, you're not so bad. We ate piranha. I mean, it was just the coolest missions trip, but I got so sick on it. We were playing soccer with the kids, and, and uh, it started raining, and the, the clay there was all red, and I'm covered with this red clay, and all the kids ran down the village, down the bank, and they all jumped into the Amazon River, and, you know, I'm like super pastor, and now I'm missionary, and I run down there and jump in the river, and we're, we're splashing and stuff, and I look up on the boat, and the missionary up there, Mark Lemos, he's up there, he's doing like this, and I'm like, I go up and I go, what's wrong? Why do you want me out of the water? He goes, where do you think all the sewage runs from this village when it rains? I'm like, oh, I thought that we were throwing algae at each other. <laughs> Two days later, in the middle of the night, I woke up shaking, fevering, puking. I was so sick. I preached at a giant church, and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to preach. I don't even know where this church was. Thousands of people. Wendy was woke up in the middle of the night in the same time, different time zones, prayed for me. I was able to preach on the way home. I barely even remember home. I was sick for weeks and weeks after that, but I barely remember coming home, and I was in the airport in Brasilia, and we had this long layover, and I was, like, laying in the, in the lounge area in the middle of the airport, and some girl's like, what's wrong with him? And one of our pa- team members like he's sick he's been sick he got sick we were in the Amazon River and she said oh he needs to go to the pharmacy and get this and I didn't listen well because I was half asleep I was in and out I was so sick and so I go to the pharmacy and I'm like hey I need something because I'm sick and they said well we don't speak English you know they're speaking Portuguese and so I'm like I rub my stomach you know I'm rubbing I'm like my stomach's sick I'm I'm sick I'm I'm gonna throw up I'm sick throwing up you know I'm doing sign language the guy's kind of looking at me like a cat you know, you know how cats look at you like they care? They don't give a, cats don't give a care about you. Dogs do a little bit. Cats, they don't care about anything but themselves. So all the cat lovers hate me now. But the guy's looking at me, you know, and then he's like, oh. And he gives me this bottle of stuff. I walk out, throw the cap in, and I just guzzle it. And after I'm done guzzling it, it's about, you know, a little bottle like that. I'm just like, it's the strongest stuff I've ever drank. But I'm like, hey, if it helps me. I go in and lay down, and, man, I start sweating and shaking. And the same girl, I one a girl, young lady, comes over and says, did your pastor get the medicine? And she said, yeah. And he said, he drank the whole thing. Here it is. And she's like, he didn't drink this, did he? And they're like, yeah, he just drank the whole thing. And she's like, it's rubbing alcohol. But I was rubbing my belly, you know. I'm like, rubbing belly, you know. I don't know. The guy's like, oh, rubbing alcohol. Here you go. So. The next throw-up bout I had, it was like throwing up turpentine, man. It tasted insane, and I was afraid I was going to lose my license preaching. You know, I'm not supposed to drink, you know. But, <laughs> but it was rubbing alcohol, right? You're drinking the wrong stuff. We think we're drinking the right stuff, so we get up in the morning, and we have a coffee, and our desire for water just leaves us, doesn't it? Like when we just fill up on coffee, we don't want to drink water, Wendy wants me to drink like 48 ounces of water a day. I'm like, it might as well just move my office into the bathroom. Because that's all I'm doing is going to the bathroom. But we don't drink enough water. But if we drink coffee and stuff, we're not thirsty for water, but we're not hydrated. Coffee's a diuretic. 
Where's the Diet Coke? Oh, yeah, Diet Coke. How many of you love Diet Coke? You know, give me a Nacho Supreme and a Diet Coke. It'll, I'll be okay, right? And we're drinking stuff that really is, it makes us not want water, but we're also not hydrated. A lot of us are drinking in a lot of things. We have a lot of desires. We're doing a lot of things. And we don't think our need for God is that strong, but it's because you are falsely having a false need met in other ways. Somebody told me the other day, it's like, I don't even like the taste of water. I'm like, well, what are you drinking? It's not supposed to taste like anything. Like, where are you getting your water? You know, God wants us to thirst for him and him alone. But a lot of us are drinking the wrong stuff. And our desire for the true living water is not there. God wants that to come to us, doesn't he? In August, I was talking after a couple. We have a Saturday night service and two on Sunday morning. As full as the two services are getting. You might have to go back to three, Ken. <laughs> you guys are like, no. But we have three services. And uh, uh, it was after the 11 o'clock I was standing talking to Rob, one of the guys in our church. And I just fell into him. I passed out. I collapsed in his arms. When I came to, he's, they, they got me on my back. And my left arm was beginning to go numb. And I was having a stroke. He rushed me to the hospital, and the trauma team at Toledo Hospital took over, and, and I didn't have any residual effects. Within an hour, my arm stopped doing that. Um, they're doing all these tests on me, and they can't figure out why I had a stroke. They're looking for holes in my heart. They're looking for blood clots. They're looking for why was my ox- oxygen in my brain deprived? Why wasn't it flowing? And I'm doing all of these tests. But you know what they keep coming back to? Maybe you were dehydrated. And the water that carries the blood to your brain, which you need to stay conscious, might have been compromised. How much water, Mr. Ellerton, did you drink that day? And I, I remember getting up, and I remember guzzling a bottle of water between services, but my life came down to the fact did I have enough water in my system that day. This is symbolic you have to have this. I mean, we'll last like three days without this. How many of us are lasting long years and years without truly going to Jesus and drinking the living water? There's a million things that can meet all of our desires and leisure opportunities and all the things, but Jesus says, come to me if you're thirsty, drink. And then he says, he who believes in me, fourthly, Believing here isn't a one-time event. In the Greek, drinking is an aorist verb. That means continue drinking. Come to me and drinking. Start drinking. Here, believing is also very active in a present tense verb. It doesn't mean believed. Like when I was 15, I believed in Jesus and gave him my life. Well, that's not what saves me today. My walk with Jesus and my salvation is today is because I'm believing And the word here could also be trusting. It's an active faith and an active verb. It's not a one-time event. It's remaining in him. And let me ask you right now, Journey Church, are you you believing and trusting Jesus today? 
I don't want to talk about you gave your heart to Jesus way back when or in college you got saved or I, I got saved three years ago. Are you believing and trusting today or are you leaning on believing the right stuff to carry your relationship through? And you're drinking and believing the right stuff but you're not truly hydrated. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? So what we've done, unfortunately, in the church and our desire to make sure people are biblically educated, through history, we've come up with what we've called doctrines and things that need to be believed. And instead of believing and trusting God presently, we've put more emphasis on do you believe the right stuff But I know a lot of people that know a lot about Jesus, that believe all the right stuff, that aren't living for Christ at all in life. We've traded an active trust into an academic trust. We've traded being a living, breathing relationship with Christ into a pharisaical, legalistic relationship with Christ. God wants us today to have active trust in Jesus. He was wanted, and it just has to go past our head. Mom and dad, your kids don't know what's in your head. They know what's in your life. They know what your priorities are. They know how you spend your money. They know what you watch on TV. They know how much you're on their phones. They need an active faith in Jesus. They need us to see us trusting God. They need to see us on our knees. They need to see us with our Bibles open. They need to hear us speak of the things of God. Like in Deuteronomy, Moses said, tell this to your children and your children's children. When you're laying down, when you're rising up, when you're traveling, when you're walking, when you're going to bed, talk about the things of God. Your kids are not going to get it if you don't talk about it. Are you with me? And it's not Megan's job, and it's not the job of Journey Church to educate your kids in the things of God. It's a parent's job. And it's our job to come along beside you mom and dads and grandmas and grandpas that are bringing your kids to church because mom and dad are sleeping in. It's It's our job to come along beside them and to confirm and affirm what they don't know. And if mom and dads aren't bringing them and grandma and grandpas aren't bringing them, we gotta go get them. Get them them gift cards, let them know. Christians did this for you. This is a gift from Christians, from God's people. You're not forgotten. Everybody on this earth might have forgotten you, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords has not forgotten you, and there's not a lot of positive touches in their life, and that card will speak more than free money to those foster kids. It's kind of a rant, wasn't it? Now more than ever, mom and dad, I know it's tough raising kids. I know it's difficult. I know finances are tough and we're coming into a cyclical, another cyclical economy where inflation is gonna spike. But that is an opportunity not to gripe and complain, but opportunities to say, hey, kids, the economy's not our source, Jesus is our source. We're gonna make it. Start having meals together, holding hands and saying grace. I'm not legalistic, but this trusting faith has to be seen. What is an active faith and what is an academic faith? Let's, let's look at this real quick. Active faith and a believing faith has some attributes. Go ahead and click to that one. That next big slide there. Ba-boom. Okay, we'll get it. Okay, gotcha. Active faith is having a relationship with Jesus. An, apoden- an academic faith is believing that Jesus existed. An active trusting faith is talking to Jesus. An academic faith is talking about Jesus. 
An active faith wants you to be like Jesus, where an academic faith is I want everyone else to act like Jesus, not me. An active faith is focused on Jesus, where we can sometimes just focus on ourselves and what Jesus can do for us. An active faith talks about their best friend, Jesus. An academic faith talks about the cultural rages against Jesus and how it affects them. An active faith, loving Jesus is our goal. You, you, you want to know how you're mature in Christ? It's not by what you know. It's by how you love. If you don't love people, I don't care how, how grown up you think you are in Jesus, you're not. If you hate people, if you're mean to people, if there's people in your life you won't speak to, you're not mature. I don't care. If, if you could teach every Bible class and say, I read my Bible 10, an hour a day, I know everything, but your love for people not like you is not there. You rant and rave and you're filled with rage and anger at people that don't believe like you or aren't like you. That's not mature. Jesus taught very clearly in the gospel that love is the measure of maturity in Christ. Active faith loves all people no matter what. You say, well, if you love them, then you're, you're, you're believing what they believe. Oh, come on. Who reprogrammed your brain? That's not what the Bible says. If you can't love people who are, who are not like you, your circle of people you can get along with is very small. I don't think Jesus got along with everybody. And nobody believed in him. When he started out, no one believed. Jesus' love is the goal. And academic trust doing and activities are the goal. Jesus loves all people. That's active trust. Academic trust is we love those who love us, act like us, believe like us, and look like us. Church, if we're ever going to be missional, If we're ever going to really take this world and fulfill the great commission, we have to fulfill the great commandment to love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind, with all of our might, and our neighbor as ourself. Jesus taught that before he taught go into all the world and make disciples. If you love me, I'll listen to what you have to say. If you judge me, I want to spend 30 seconds with you. Is anyone else any different? We're the same, aren't we? God wants us to move to a trust and a belief in him, that we believe in his message and we believe in his mission and we believe in the ministry of Jesus and what he had to do on this earth. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. Can we rewind a few minutes back to the feast? On the last straight gray of the feast, they did things a little differently. It was tradition. The priest would go to the pool of Siloam. He would begin to walk back to the altar like he did the seven previous days. And the kids and the branches and the Hosanna and the quoting and the singing of Isaiah 12:3 from the wells of joy. I'll draw from the wells of salvation with shouts of joy. And, and the city was exploding and the trumpets played. And he walked around the altar seven times symbolizing the victory that God gave Joshua, Jericho, and then when he stood before the altar on the last day and he raised the pitcher, the place went silent. The, the horn stopped. The shouting stopped. Everything stopped. And they stood in absolute silence. 
because the water pitcher was empty. It symbolized the generation that did not follow God, that were not obedient in the wilderness, and they didn't get life. They met death. It was during this time when he raised the pitcher and everything got quiet in the city that the verse that we read, Jesus stood up and he yelled, Come to me, all you are thirsty. Did he interrupt the feast? No. He interpreted the feast. It was about him. For thousands of years, they, they did this feast thinking, oh, God provided manna. He provided water of the rock. He'll provide for the desert that we now live in. He's going to provide food for our families. And Jesus saying, this is symbolic because he's also provided salvation. He's provided a way for eternal life. He's provided a way to get through life today and have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's provided forgiveness of sins. He's provided many of us second and third chances when we failed our families and we failed our vows and we failed the Lord. His blood and his love is still there. He has provided the beacon of light and the beacon of hope for each and every one of us. He stood in that silence and yelled out and from his bellies would throw rivers of living water. The living water is the living Jesus. That's what's got to be flowing from us. It's not tongues. That's not what it is. And I speak in tongues every day. The rivers of living water is the living life of Jesus flowing from our lips and flowing from our mind and flowing from our hearts to our families and to our friends and in communion with the Trinity. Would you stand to your feet today? Could I ask you a couple really direct questions, church? Are you in a desert right now? Are you in a desert? Is not sensing or being connected to Jesus normal, even though you believe all the right stuff? Do you got to leave something to come to Jesus? Is it time to walk away from something? Have you given Jesus your life and your heart? He loves you so much. He's got so much he wants to show you, but he can't show you until you're his. He wants to save you. Young people, is your life in his hands? Are you praying about what does God want for my life? What does God want me to do with my life? Oh, the counselors at school, they'll tell you what to do to make the most money and be successful and get in the right college. But success in this world is not making money. Success is doing the will of God for your life and your life only. When I told my mom and dad I wanted to be a preacher, I could have told them I wanted to go into mafia or be a serial killer. They would have had the same reaction. They couldn't believe I was gonna waste my life tell you what giving your life to Jesus is the greatest thing you can do and you only have one of them be careful who you give it to would you bow your heads all over this place would you just give close your eyes and just give Pastor Ken and I and you just a moment of pastoral courtesy if you need to give your life to Jesus and your faith needs to be active today. Those of you joining us online, would you just lift your hand right now and say, I need to give my life to the Lord. I need forgiveness. I need to be born again. I'm not. Raise your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. If you say, I'm not sure I am, you're probably not. You're probably not. Raise your hand and say, yes. Thanks, buddy. God loves you. He loves your family. 
He's got a future for your life, young people. Thank you. You can put your hands down. In a moment, I want to I lead you in prayer. How many of you are going through a time, a trial, a test, a fire, a storm, and you need some trust? You need more faith. You need the gift of faith. You need Jesus right now to help you out. Lift your hand up. Say, I need the Lord. Pastor already prayed for a lot of these. As Carrie sings, can I invite you to come down to this altar? But before we do, for the six or seven people and the people online that are giving their hearts to Jesus, can we all pray this together with them? And in doing so, also recommit our lives. Would you follow me out loud in prayer? And those of you that raised your hand, I want you to pray this. And then I want you to make sure you get a booklet and you talk to your pastor before you go. Let's pray this together and online join us. Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and make my life new. I need you. I want you. Quench the thirst in my heart to be in relationship with the living God. I believe you died on the cross. You rose again for me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. All of you that raised your hands and some of you that have been in a desert, would you come forward and just stand around here so Pastor could pray, pray over you before we leave as Carrie sings this. Would you come? And let's just seek the Lord for a few moments before we come. Dads, I want to pray for dads this morning. Got to raise your, your kids or the phone's going to raise them or the world's going to raise them or culture's going to raise them. Dads, we got to raise our kids, our sons and daughters the way God would have us. Grandmas and grandpas, you have a tremendous voice in your grandkids' life. Don't squander it. Redeem the time. But come forward, man, so I can pray with you. As Carrie leads us, would you? Come.
speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind because I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus I speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus Father, I pray that you would empower your children to trust you, to follow you all the more. God, if there's a place we need to leave, Pastor Nate talked today about we can't, can't be in one place if we're still in another place. God, I, I just pray, I believe that there's some people in this room that just, they need to leave some stuff. They need to leave some relationships. They need to leave some places. They need to leave some thinking. So God, I pray that you would empower your children, that courageously they would hear the whisper of your spirit, and that they would have the boldness to act upon it. God, I thank you for rivers of living water for your children, that we would walk in your life, in your light, in your joy, in your peace, the peace that only Jesus can bring. And when we're stuck, God, that we can look to you and you bring life, but we can also look to each other. We can look to the body of Christ. Give us the courage. Maybe we need to have a conversation this week with somebody. God, give us the courage to do that as well. We love you. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.